Hello and welcome to the 90 Minutes Cynic podcast. I'm Chris Gallagher. Due to the international break, there is no free feed podcast covering Celtic as there's not been any sort of Celtic news or games. But what we've done is we've decided to release a Patreon podcast that we released back in June um, for you to kind of get a feel for what we're doing. It's the Focus On series, Her Hoop to Dream, and it's a podcast broken down into three sections about women in football. Um, we've got some really great contributors, including Swedish top flight team Ossersson's assistant coach, Johanna Almgren, um, as well as Frankie Mitchell and Lindsay Hamilton, all being part of this podcast. We really enjoyed making this podcast. We thought it was an important podcast to do and to get out there and as part of our patreon service we will be covering women's football in a lot more detail moving forward so sit back and relax and enjoy her hooped dream And welcome to Focus On. Um, my name is Chris Gallagher, and today we're going to focus on women in football. Um, we've got a fantastic array of uh, guests to discuss women in football. It's such a huge um, concept that we're not going to have it down to one podcast. We're going to discuss it over many podcasts. But we have, in fact, you know what? I should introduce the panel that are sitting in front of me. Uh, Christian Wolf to my left hand side. That's correct. How are you, Christian? I'm good. I'm I'm excited to be on the podcast where I'm not the only sports studies graduate from the University of Sterling. There's two of us. Here. There's two of you. I'm outnumbered. Double, and double. Which in co- involves sports history, so y- yeah. you come to the right place. And if you want to do that degree and you want a job afterwards, maybe don't do that <laughs> because it's not it's a really good degree, but in terms of the job market, yeah. Yeah. you know. Um, that voice you're hearing, that intermittent, intermittent voice, is Lindsay Hamilton. Lindsay, how are you? Very well, thank you. It's great to have you here. Um, we've been meaning to get you on again after your debut a couple of months ago, mm-hmm. um, which was uh, which was great. Um, we're going to talk about some football history. Um, we're going to talk about women in football, women's football history, um, all of the combinations. Yep. <laughs> I just said some combinations of stuff. Um, but as I say, so this is women's in, uh, women in football that we're going to be talking about. We're going to have um, Johanna Almgren, who is a former international footballer. Um, she's going to come on and we're going to talk about her role um, within men's top flight coaching. She's at Ostersund, no S, Christian. Yeah, only the S if you add FK after. Ah, if you add so FK. It's Swedish grammar Swedish podcast. grammar. Um, as I say, we're doing these podcasts um, throughout June just to give you a taste of what we're going to do when we're going full time. But we're hopefully going to be able to cover Celtic uh, women's team. Um, and a bit more detail moving forward. Uh, I'm sure Lindsay will, will be helping us with that. Um, but just to bring Lindsay in, um, talk, tell us about what you're currently doing, your current project, Lindsay. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I recently just launched a business oh, for my sins. It's, uh, <laughs> it's not been easy, 
But um, yeah, so I've just started the, the Glasgow Football Tour uh, after three years of hard work to finally put it all together. Um, so the Glasgow Football Tour is a tour-driven tour around Glasgow, um, visiting five spots. Um, so you've got Celtic Park, of course. Yes. Uh, you've got Ibrooks. <gasps> How many minutes do you spend <laughs> at Ibrooks? Uh, you know, the same amount. Le- okay. Level playing field as everyone else. Oh, come on, Lindsay, you need to. You need to. <laughs> There's a, a solid. Just, it's okay, just milk the customer. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so we've got Celtic Park, uh, that place that we will not mention again, because uh, I'll get booed again. Yes, um, For Hill, of course. Um, for for Hill, for Thrills, exactly. Does, does Gary Caldwell come on every tour? Yes. Okay. Yes, good. yes. Uh, close contact. So, okay, yeah, we've how, got him in for every tour. How skinny are his jeans? Uh, incredibly so. Lovely stuff. Yeah. Happy with that. That's a great it's answer. It's the West End. That's what so, I was looking yeah, for. Yeah. Yeah. We've uh, we've got Caldwell locked in, but Kingsley's a bit more difficult to, yeah. to get. It's a bigger down, star to He's a bigger star, <laughs> yeah. correct. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so we've got Farrell and then Kafkin Park, uh, former home of Third Lanark. Former uh, home of where I used to play oh, when I played for Third Lanark. Holyrood. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't actually play like, when I mean, I mean PE. I didn't represent <laughs> Holyrood in any way because, holy shit. But um, plenty of times myself and Chris Bowd played I, I there. I didn't know. Was that your the home pitch? I didn't know that. That's it's where, where we did PE. Oh, okay, right. Okay. Was this when Chris Bowd had hair? Listen, Chris Bowd with hair, that flowing locks, was mean. It was it was like watching Maldini in full flow. I was going to say Hasselhoff, but okay. No, Maldini in full flow. But no, Kathkin, uh, awash with history. Yes. Um, the Third Lanark story is... Sad. It's sad. It's, it's sad. an incredible story. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that... that so you... Lindsay does this tour. Um, I, I've not done it yet, but I'm absolutely 100% going to do it. It sounds fantastic. Can I just add that the last stop's Hamden Park? You never oh, let yeah. me finish up <laughs> Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, let me finish. It's business time, okay? So can you just look? You just have to keep an eye on them. Yeah. yeah. That, that, listen, that that's not an insult. That's just a fact. Um, but yeah, so Lindsay's tour. What's your website? It is www.glasgowfootballtour.com. Perfect. Um, great name. And uh, glasgowfootballtour.com. And Lindsay, we'll, we'll, obviously this is just a one-off podcast for, for June, but we'll definitely have you on because I think you've got a lot to say and you, you're clearly um, the person to go to for Scottish football history. Christian, I'll bring you in. Yeah, as, as I say, obviously, I think me and Lindsay could probably sit here for, for hours talking about um, sports history and football history, but... Um, I'm not invited, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what you can contribute to this. But, uh, you know, you know, we both studied this, Lindsay, and, and I think women's football history is, is quite, as everything else, it kind of reflects the society of the time. Because even I think even in the late 800s, you have, you know, games being played, and a lot of this is kind of tied into the, the suffragette movement. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of that. I mean, the first... A recorded international women's match. Sadly, wasn't played in Glasgow. That would have been a great story for the old uh, tours. But no, it was actually played in Edinburgh. Um, but still, so still Scotland as well. That's still Scotland. Still Scotland. That's well, where the history of well, that. That's, of. It's still yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. kind of Scotland. Um, <laughs> and um, Scotland won. Happy days. We actually beat England 3-0. Wow. First ever international. So happy days. Um, but yeah, so there was um, definitely football at that time. Um, there was obviously it was seen as a bit of a novelty. Uh, you're getting the usual chat about oh, it's a man's game, you know, grumble, grumble, all the rest of it. Which, to be honest, is still <laughs> a story. It's still a story that's happening uh, currently. But um, yeah, that's kind of where you're seeing the start of all this. Um, 
and, and I, I think in terms of when I studied this and what I read before as well, it, you have this point in the 1920s where it, it's actually in, during the First World War and, and you kind of get these almost like company teams. So obviously there was a lot of women having working in, in quite hard work in, in the factories and mm-hmm. and some of these teams, uh, first women teams came from these. And I think the most famous one was um, the Dick Kerr team, like a company in Preston. Yep. Uh, yeah, the Dick Kelly ladies were seen as sort of the the travelling team. They went the Holland Globe Trotters. Yeah, the Holland <laughs> Globe Trotters of of football <laughs> at that time. Um, yeah, they went around everywhere. They they played teams from Europe and things as well, um, which is impressive, especially given the time and given yeah. what was going on <laughs> um, at the time. Uh, certainly, even more impressive. Um, but yeah, the, the thing with the, the factories and things, so you're just finding a sort of I don't know, a brief revival, I suppose, of the fact that there's thousands of men who have been sent away to yeah. fight in trenches, you know, a horrible time. But as you're saying, women are taking up these traditional roles. They're working in these factories. Um, one of the examples that I did find, obviously I was doing a wee bit of research for this and knowing it's a Celtic podcast, um, I did find that there was a game played at Celtic Park in 1918 uh, with a local factory coming out of the Forge Market, which okay. is just around the corner, as Amazing. you know. Uh, so it's William Beardmore's Ironworks, which of course is getting used for war, whatever they're making for the war. Um, but yeah, that game's getting played, and it's again a Scotland versus England international that's happening at Celtic Park, and I don't think many folk know that. The teams are being allowed to use the dressing room, use all the facilities that they want, um, just but it, to it's raise not funds. Rec- not recognised in any way as a full international? It's not recognised as a full international, no. Um Plus, you're you're kind of looking at just another factory was coming up from England to to play in this game. So again, it's it's players from a, a certain local area just yeah. coming from England. Um, Baron Furness, I think it was, but um, it's still a massive, massive story. And of course, these games they weren't just getting played for oh, yes, the lads are away, <laughs> like let's have a wee kick about. These games are getting played to raise funds for the the men who were out there fighting in yeah. trenches. They are getting played to highlight the war effort and to raise money. So it's not as if it's just like, right, come on, we'll get a kick about, everyone's away. It's Who what, Who won? Um, that game, it was actually England that was a doing. It was f- 4-0 and to the English on that occasion. Oh, do we sure know they if, is this the only women's match that's ever been played at Celtic Park? No, because I've played a match at Celtic oh. Park. <laughs> 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 no, uh, I believe there's been a few uh, games at Celtic Park, but... Um, yeah, I actually did play uh, against the women's team, so I did play for Celtic briefly. Not very well. My <laughs> former teammates are now playing in the Scottish women's national team. Ah, what could have been? Yeah, uh, yeah. Chloe Arthur and Fiona if, Brown. If we're going to share <laughs> stories about what could have been, we'll, we'll be here all, all day. That's very no, true. we won't. It'll mainly, mainly be Lindsay talking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's a different podcast. Um, I'm sure but yeah, um, no, there's definitely been other games, but that's. Uh, Probably the the biggie. There was a, there was another international game. Um, I don't know the year, which is going to bug me. I think it was the seventies though. And uh, Jockstein actually allowed again for the the Scotland ladies team, women's team. Sorry, uh, to come in and play an international game, which was recognised. Oh, in um, the seventies. Yes, I'm sure it was seventies, but I need to double check the date for you. But, but because yeah, because yeah, we're kind of talking as you said that this is the 1920s, and then there's yeah. nothing really happens in open football. Um, for the seventies, and and the reason for that, as we you mentioned, you know, the Dick Kerr ladies there. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the articles we've been researching here, they were saying how in nineteen twenty one there was like one hundred and fifty women's team, yeah, mostly in in the north and the Midlands, regularly getting 
big crowds, over 10,000. Um, the Dick Care ladies had a game at Goodison Park, uh, Boxing Day 1921 here, 53,000. Yep. Wow. That's correct. And that yep. was 3,000 more than when who went to the men's cup final yep. just a few months before. So you kind of get, at this point, women's football is it's huge. And as you say, you know, since since they were amateurs, basically most of their, you know, match fees were going to disabled soldiers and, and so on. But it, there's also, at that point, the, the English FA comes in and they essentially ban it. Ban the game, yeah. But e- even prior to that, so in 1902, um, you've got what was called the Council of the Football Association. So let's just say it's the FA. Yeah. Um, who... Um, issued a warning to member clubs to not allow charitable matches against women's teams to be played. So already pre the 1921, they were already like, no. We don't like charity. We don't like women. Let's stop charity and (laughs) women. 100%. That's exactly what's happening. But yeah, so the official ban, you're correct, does come in in 1921. And it's sort of just taken on its merit. Like the Scottish FA didn't actually go with that ban. Like they didn't, they, there wasn't an official statement or anything like that. I think it was for 1946 or 47 that the Scottish FA officially put out to say, right, we are also banning this. What, did they give a reason? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> not, well, not the Scottish FA as far as I'm aware. Um, the FA. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's, I'm, I'm looking yeah. at that, like the, the released a statement, and this is when women's football was was hugely yeah, popular. And, yeah, you know, that. and not a lot of people will know that. See, the common man of today no, will not know how popular yeah. women's football is was at that time. Yeah, and in the sense of saying the council feel compelled to express their strong opinion that the game of football is quite unsuitable for females yeah. and or not to be encouraged. Just, yeah. So, essentially, what the ban meant was women football teams could not use any. FA grounds. You can't use it yet. No, no coaches. Can it was help. referees as well. The referees. So you can't even have someone to officiate your game. So essentially for 50 years, women's football was said, you can go and play in the park. Yeah. And you can't be organised. Yeah. It can only ever be recreational, basically. And and then I kind of want to come back to how that influenced him, but you kind of see that, like, when I kind of read about this, I thought, like, well, that's just the 1920s. You know, they're, 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 they're even more sexist than we are today, and that's, you know, yeah. in the female body can't cope. But when you actually dig into it, it's it's actually a lot more for me um, a threat to the establishment. But it's essentially when Dick Care ladies, especially, they were and other clubs were going around making a lot of money. But some of the funding to this was going to help, for example, miners on strike, like trade unions. Who's ah, okay, yeah. now we're getting to the well. well yeah. Essentially, but it's in, you know, in terms of research, you know, after the war, you know, you know, the economy was really bad. But essentially, there was this push to pull down wages for like the working environments to be uh you know further in, in terms of you know you know essentially trying to drive wages and everything down to the bottom but these and at the same time you have the suffragette movement mm-hmm. and stuff that so all that together it, it's it's not just oh we sh- females shouldn't play that it's actually it's dangerous it's dangerous more look yeah. this is getting really it's a popular movement and this is a way of funding especially yeah. minors and and, and in the suffragette to, movement it's a way to gain an audience as well i think yeah. that was the big point of it too like don't get me wrong the fifty-three thousand that you just you were talking about at goodison like it probably was a bit of a freak to get over the fifty thousand, but they were still seeing regular crowds of fifteen twenty twenty five thousand yeah it's an audience at the end of the day and if you're if your sole purpose is, go- I mean, it's not their sole purpose, but if you're going around playing football, 
mm. with something like that in mind, oh, we are going to fund minors, oh, we are going to, this is what this charity is for, etc. You're, you're spreading like, a message at the, at the same time. You know, you yeah. have big, you know, movements towards labour for communism, yeah. and that mm. is seen as a threat and, you know, working rights. So it's, it's, it's not just, oh, there were a bunch of sexists, of course, there were, it was the 1920s. This is, I think female football seemed to be a lot of people coming together social, politically, and actually yeah. be seen as a threat, and and that's why it's, it's closed down. It's uh, it's interesting as well. Like, I, this is um, it's just me thinking right now. My, um, but basically, there was also instances well where clubs. This is me now talking about Scottish mm-hmm. football because I, I can't speak for English football. I don't know much there, but. Um, there was three clubs in the 1920s that actually wrote to the SFA to request that the women could come on and play a charity match on the on their grounds, and the SFA point blank turned around and said no. So really, you're looking at clubs. Some some yep. clubs, certain clubs, were were for this and, and wanted this to to go ahead and you know supported it in a sense. Worst, do you know the clubs? Yes, I do. Uh, Rafe Rovers, Aberdeen, and Queen of the South. Um, requested in 20... I'm sure it was season 24, 25. I've got that written somewhere. 24, 25. And yeah, the SFA appointment turned around saying no. So that's really covering from the government body. There's certainly evidence there to suggest that clubs were like... Interested. Cool. Yeah. We're interested in yeah. this. Whether that's from a you know financial standpoint, they might think, yes, let's get bodies through the door, happy days. You got, you it got doesn't you, matter, you know, it's still... You've you got to wonder at that point if, if there was a certain level of acceptance that, you know, they're starting to play charity games, then they maybe get the opportunity and kind of different levels of football, you yeah. know, it would be interesting to see where we would be now. Yeah. Um, well, because, who never, knows? Never know, I know. I, I, no, you're right, Gal, and, and I think... Mm-hmm. I, we could have done so much on, on that part of her history that there is one player called Lily Parr, which yeah. I she's she's just amazing. She's yep. she was um, reputed to have a harder shot than any male player at the time. She's reported to have injured uh, a male goalkeeper yes. who taunted her. Yep. Um, she wanted, you know, she was pro, but she also wanted some of her pays to come in the form of cigarettes. I mean, if what, you a, go, what a fucking life! If, to be if you go up and look, Lily Parr, she, she sounds amazing. Do you know the the goal stats for Lily oh, Parr? <laughs> it is <laughs> nearly much. nearly a thousand goals over thirty two years. Wow, she's, she's probably she's probably worth her own podcast. To yeah, be it's to be insane. Fair. <laughs> but um, and, uh, well, as you say, Gal, because I always go, you know, one of the things I always leveled against women's football is like oh, it's 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 not as good as the men's. Like, <laughs> and and obviously, like that's something you wouldn't really say about women's tennis or women's athletics that much is, is also compared to the men's game but also see if you had a 50-year ban on men's football from 1920 to 1970 you couldn't play in the parks you couldn't have coaches you couldn't have refs you play in the park do you think men's football will be at the level it was at the time today? and that's not even touching upon like male footballers at the top level are multimillionaires. if you're mm. some of the best female footballers you're probably making just about a living like you would have working in an office yeah, yeah i think um one of the Back to quickly, and it's just a small anecdote about the tennis. Um, Claire Wilde, um, who's um, done some great work for us uh, recently, uh, we were watching the uh, the Open, the French Open, and uh, one of her big bugbears is the fact that um, it's the US. Uh, sorry, it's the French Open. It's, so it's the Open, and then it's instead of it being the the women's matches and the men's matches, they just they just call it the women's game and the game. So they oh. don't they don't differentiate the fact that right. you know there's instead of it being the men's game and the women's matches it's just the women's matches and the game as mm-hmm. if the men's game is the real game 
and uh, what we've got is we've got also got a side yeah, show is, yeah. of of women's tennis as well, and that's you know I, bullshit. It is something that really annoys me in terms of how women's team are called Celtic women. Yeah, you don't call them Celtic men. No. Well, Motherwell took the very yeah. bold step of just calling them Motherwell because that's who they represent, but, and, and that's, that's I think it's especially yeah, a UK thing. In, in Norway, you wouldn't have saying you know uh, Rosenberg women. You know, it's, it's Rosenberg. And there, there's often a much more reference to, say, the men's national team and the women's national team. The yeah. U.S. is really good at this because th- that's essentially, you know, the men's national team, the women's national team. So, and I guess it, that's just part of the terminology that makes you think as there's football well, and then women's football. The, like, in the U.S., the, the women's national team is far better than the men's national yes. team and always has been. And so I think the interesting fact is if success breeds a changing of attitudes mm-hmm. um with the scotland national team you think that's a thing i certainly hope so and i, I feel like i've seen it already mm-hmm. um just even in discussion um and <laughs> it's even in like a really silly way but you've even got i'm seeing loads of tweets just in general about Jesus, like the women's team's more successful than the men's it, team and it, all that stuff. It, it is, a but fun, it does yeah. at least change the conversation. Yeah, it does, and it's it kind of like this: the women's teams almost became like a stick to beat the men's <laughs> team with. Yeah. And I really, really like it. And I don't know if I should, <laughs> but it is kind of like putting it on its head. And Absolutely. I, and I'll, I'm a fan of it if I'm being honest. Like, and it is kind of like because obviously I'm coming from Norway. Like women's football has always been a lot bigger, and women's sport is. A lot bigger, but I think a part of that it, it's a lot to do with Norway being a different kind of society as well. But a part of this is that when Norway was really bad at sport, except skiing, even with skiing, the first really team sports that had any sort of um, success in any sport were women's team. It, it was the Norwegian um, women's handball team in the eighties, and then the football team. And in Norway, there's not much sporting success, so any kind of sporting success. Are elevate, elevated to a level of so so the women's football team the women's handball team through the 80s and through the 90s until the men's team got really good was a bigger attraction bigger stars and seen as a huge achievement in in in, in how that came about because you know going back to the 1970s and, and trying to you know, look at the scottish side you have one of the main players um of that era, who come out once it was allowed again, was someone called Rose Riley. Yes. So Rose is a massive, massive character. Scottish football, the only Scot to have won a World Cup uh, with Italy. And I forgot the year, which is now <laughs> going to wind me up. So she played for Italy? She played for Italy yeah. because Scotland banned her. Yeah. Scotland, the Scottish FA <laughs> banned Rose Riley from playing international football and banned Elsie Cook from managing, I suppose, international football. Could have been playing as well, but I think it was just managing. Which is just nuts. And again, there was absolutely no explanation for that, by the way. They still haven't heard anything. No. Now, if anybody was at the Scotland Women's National Game last week, there's me saying Scotland Women's Day yeah. <laughs> against Jamaica last week. Um, Rose finally got handed her Scotland cap. That's right, yeah. Um, and it, I, saw, which, I think it was on the BBC the other day as well, talking about when yeah. she was a kid, she was all the things she had to go through to even be allowed to play. To play football, yeah. yeah. By the way, I think it's good to split this, the women's national team from the men's national yeah, team. I know. Because the men's national <laughs> team are shit <laughs> and the women's national team are really good. So we, they should, there should be a distinct difference. Yeah. Don't be tarnished. No, that's, that's true. But um, <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, Rose, yeah, just an, like a force, just an absolute force. Basically couldn't play in Scotland 
Um, there wasn't really a setup. So in 1971, UEFA basically turns around to all its members and says, like, you have to take control of yeah. your, your women's football. It has to be done. Um, the motion was passed 31 to 1. Which was the which governing body was the one who didn't want to? No way, no. The Scottish. Oh, get yourself so far to fuck. That was in nineteen seventy-one, thirty-one to one, and who's the one? The Scots. I, I did not know that. Yeah, I'm not surprised. We were the only member to vote against it, um, but of course, it still had to go through. Yeah, <laughs> of course it did. Um, so Rose plays in the first ever international official international women's game yeah. uh, 1972 at Ravenscraig Stadium in Greenock. Um she scores directly from a corner. <laughs> is there anyone is there anyone <laughs> in the, is there anyone in this room who recently scored from a corner directly from a uh, corner? Yeah, that would be me. Oh, hello. Uh, the other week. Yes, that is correct. Um can't remember who we were playing but yeah, I did but we lost. So, so uh, <laughs> Rose Riley. Yep. Lindsay Hamilton, mm-hmm. Lubo Maravchik. Yep, hey. That's, I'm we very, go. very pleased to be in that. that Charlie list. Tully as well. Yeah, <laughs> did it twice. <laughs> did it twice. Yeah, my dad was at that game. So oh, excellent. And, and I guess then to like move it up to, to present day, what what I remember obviously is, is you you start getting the official World Cup in in '91 in yep. China, mm-hmm. um, '95 Norway wins the World Cup in Sweden, and again at the time this was a huge huge thing in Norway. I guess your rivals as well, eh? Yeah, I mean, we beat Germany in the final, but I remember when they took the flight home from from Germany, there was F1, you know, jets, you know, uh, escorting the team to the airport. That's fantastic. I mean, I mean fantastic. It, was, it, it was that level of interest who had it. I think you get in 1999, you have Brandy Chestin, mm-hmm. who, when she scores the winning penalty against Chelsea and, and whips the top off, and, and those kind of, that's maybe the first iconic yeah. image of, of women's football at all. And I don't know if you, Lindsay, but I think the last World Cup for me as well was, was quite a watershed in terms of there was so much interest. So much coverage. Yeah. That's the first time I'd seen what it felt, like yeah. the first time we got proper, proper coverage. And people were talking about it. Of and course they were talking about it. I if guess you it helped because pub, England is in it. But yeah, of course. And yeah, don't worry. It's, the, it's not the best. You obviously want, this, want Scotland to be in there. But if you're walking into a pub and it's on, people will watch. People will talk. Like, like they're saying good things about it is indifferent but like as long as there's a conversation as long as I'm I'm totally for that as long as there's a conversation and I think it's stepped up again the fact you've got Albert they've totally dedicated to we will cover every Scotland game BBC Sport are all over it like ration like it's just a massive massive discussion Um, and I think that World Cup obviously I've been in Scotland so long now that England you know got knocked Norway out of the last World Cup but England goes to the semi-final and it's 1-0 and, and Japan, well, there's an English um, own goal two minutes into injury time. Yep. And honestly, I was celebrating like nothing else. <laughs> it, it's, it's obviously, it's, I kind of reach a point where as long as England is in it, you just, you just want them to lose. I've been here long enough. For I'm not like that. I love England. <laughs> yeah, massive supporter of. And then of you have the final English with things. US scoring four goals in 60 minutes. It was like you kind of actually remember those games. I mean, you're starting to create this kind of history and, and shared memories of it. So, mm-hmm. but so yeah. So we, we, 2019, Scotland's in the World Cup. Yes, Lindsay. Uh, how many goals are, are we? I'm going to say we. Uh, just now, are, are we going to beat uh, England by on? on I'm front? buzzing. I honestly think we will get something from the game. Do you know what will happen, right, in all seriousness? If it's going to be the proper Scottish, like, way of doing things, <laughs> we will um, we'll get something out of England, be like a scrappy 2-2 or something like that. Good result. We'll batter Japan when we shouldn't. 
and then we'll Argentina, Argentina will beat us yeah. <laughs> and put us out. <laughs> um, spoken like a true Scottish football fan. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, when, in terms of the Scottish um, uh, team at the World, Scottish team at the World Cup, yeah, you can just say it. No, I was just going to say as well. It, 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 I just wanted to touch quickly on, on Celtic women in yes. terms of how you know how good are they in, in a British term and a Scottish term, and, and I mean. Well, Celtic, actually, if Celtic is the best men's team, for me, they should be the best women's team in Scotland as well. well, well, yeah. well can you hold that? Because what we're going to do yes. is uh, I'd like to do a, a whole podcast on okay. the, the Celtic women's team because right. I don't know enough about them and I'd like to go cool. into genuine depth. Um, but we're running out a little, a little bit running out of time here. So in terms of the Scotland uh, national team at the World Cup, mm-hmm. um, we are going to be doing some minute by minutes. Yep. Um, we are going to focus on it. We're going to, we're going to follow it. And uh, I can't wait. I was at the Jamaica game. Um, I loved, I loved that. I thought it was fantastic. Um, but we'll talk a little bit about that more um, in the upcoming sections. Joining us now is former Swedish international footballer Johanna Almgren. Um, she's currently a coach at Swedish top flight team Ostersund. Uh, thanks for joining us, Johanna. Thank you for having me. Um, lovely stuff. Um, so you're a bit of a trailblazer um, by uh, being a, a woman who's working in top flight football in the men's game. Um, but people may not be you know, totally familiar with you. Um, can you give us a, an overview of yourself as a bit of a player? Yeah, hi. Play professionals for like 10 years. Uh, I um, suffer a lot from uh, knee injuries when I was uh, really young. Uh, I did my first ACL when I was 15 and the other one when I was 16 and that continues oh, almost my whole career. So it uh, didn't last so long or not so long that I hoped for, but uh, uh, 10 years of professional in Gothenburg uh, and then uh, I uh, did um, uh, 45 um, caps for Sweden national team and played uh, two Olympics uh, in London and uh, Beijing. Yeah, and, and Johanna, first of all, in, in the Olympics, we're, we're probably going to talk a little bit more about this later, but in you know the, the, the Olympics for, for women's football is... is Almost as big as the World Cup, isn't it? Uh, now I haven't uh, got to play uh, World Cup for um, Europeans because uh, I've been injured and then also not been picked. Uh, but um, they, they say that. And maybe I, it feels like that because you have all athletes at uh, almost the same spot. So that's why it's also big. And uh, of course, in the men's, it's what is it like 23 or? Yeah, on the 23s. Yeah, exactly. So, so I, I can so, uh, see why they think so. So, I mean, in, in terms of your career, then, as you, as, as you say, that you're quite a distinguished playing career and you, you, you know, almost at the top of your game. But what attracted you to coaching? Was it that you wanted to stay in football afterwards? Or did you always, were you a player that kind of had a tactical view of the game? Uh, um, when I I also know that I get so much injured, I didn't I have done like seven knee surgeries. So of course I had a, 
second, uh, what would you say, in a dream, but I, I know quite early that I wanted to be a coach uh, in many ways. Uh, I know and I, I felt that maybe I, I uh, am uh, not able to, to play as long as I want, so sure. I had to have a plan B. Uh, the second one is uh, that I feel that I never got to play the, the kind of football that I want. Okay. Uh, and um, that was number two. Uh, and, and it feels also like almost everything, it sounds weird, but uh, everything I know about life I got from football. Uh, so I don't know. It's also when I uh, quit, I got the... Uh, identity crisis do you say that yeah, mm-hmm. yeah and then no. i only and then i my brain works like okay the only thing you know is about football so and, and i and then i guess that's quite familiar for a lot of of professional footballers but and and it's probably maybe more common in, in the men's game where you know the career is everything and, and very few players actually think you know that they're going to coaching or media and um, did you have any sort of qualifications or a career outside of football or was it just always football with you i just uh pt license and uh, i um took the the coaching uh, uh would you say yeah. diploma a ufa yeah. a uh, mm-hmm. when i was a player uh, so i played professional and did that uh, aside uh, on the university there so it was good that I didn't have to go to back to school directly after because I already had it. Uh, but I also think that female footballer is better to have a plan B because mm-hmm. the you're not going to earn that much money. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and was there any point? Obviously, we'll come on to this as well. But there's very, very few female coaches in the men's game even now. Did you ever think? Because obviously, I, I, I presume in terms of working in the men's game the wages will be better and uh, you know in terms of the opportunities might be be more did you ever think i'm just going to become a coach but i'll probably work in the in the women's game or was it always an ambition for you to kind of break into the men's game as well i actually I never thought that i would uh, that i wanted to be put in a what would you say i'm only going to coach female or, or stuff it's for me it always had uh, been about challenges mm-hmm. and uh, especially when I left um, my own career I, I worked at uh, another men's team but under 17 okay. uh, the highest men's team also and that's what were my first way into coaching and after that I got a call from uh, the second league in women's league uh, and then I uh, went to be uh, coaching there two years uh, so that's how I started, but I never felt that I want to just coach female, or it, it has never like been uh, about gender. Like, and obviously, can you kind of tell us a little bit how you ended up in in Östersund? Because Östersund is probably one of the most famous Swedish clubs now because of you know the whole Cinderella story and and Graham Potter who was there who. It obviously, it's, it's Swindon, and, and I was going to Brighton. So, can you kind of tell us the steps of how you ended up in Östersund and, and working with Graham? Yeah, of course. Uh, it wasn't 
about me in first because uh, my uh, fiance uh, is a player in the team and uh, Graham uh, wanted him uh, in his team because he played for IFK Gothenburg then and he didn't got so much playing time and and uh, Kyle the, the scout has uh, oh, looked at him for many years and then uh, Graham thought that he would suit the team uh, and then when he came and visited us and talked uh, about the team and, and we had to to take a decision where to move, uh, then uh, I, yeah, he got to know me also that, that um, yeah, my passion for football and then we talk a bit and then I think that he felt directly that, okay, this is a, a woman who, who wants to work with football. Yeah. Um, so, um, and it wasn't, uh, when, when Tom is signing for us, uh, my role or job wasn't clear then. Uh, so when we moved up and uh, we had a, a meeting with Daniel, uh, and, uh, and Graham and, and talked about, uh, what I could do for the, for the team. Um, so that's, so I didn't have a role. At first, it was a role who who was um, starting to develop. Yeah. You know what I mean. I had to, Got I it. we had to develop a role who wasn't there before I came. Straight off the bat, when you when you get into this this new role, um, obviously it's uh, what can you tell us a little bit about the differences between? Is there any differences between how a women's team co- um, train and how a men's team train? With the women's team, is there as much tactical analysis? And I know that's going to sound like really condescending, but we're trying to really paint a picture. Is there a, a massive difference um, in terms of how you both work? Uh, now I haven't been uh, in the female highest league for many years because when, when I was in the second league, it, there wasn't you had hard to find videos of the opponents. Oh yeah. Um, so, but I know that it has been developing uh, the last year, uh, but you can't co- compare uh, with the tools you have, like scouting programs, and it's all about the the money and and uh, yeah, the the women's football doesn't have that m- money. But I would say that the, uh, the coaches for the, the highest in, in female is better and more uh, experienced and, and, and like that. So I would say that it's more tactical now uh, than it was when I played because then it was just a, uh, would you say, a board and just like some. Yeah, yeah just some, some notes on a board sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. And- uh, it's so much different uh, when I played and, and also the comparisons you have to do now in the men's seat it's crazy how how many tools there is and, and Joanna do you think in terms of you know Östersund is, and, and Graham is kind of known for being a very a clubs that, that, that does things differently you know you heard all about the stories about how you have to put on a musical every year and uh, you know, and, and Graham obviously was there from they were far down in the league. So, do you think it's the reason why you? I mean, in a way, it was, it was a chance encounter with him because, as you say, Tom was coming up to us too soon. But you, you must have felt that there's probably so little opportunities for 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 women coaches to show that they could that they could they could work in men's games. So, you kind of meeting Graham and Graham obviously being such a 
progressive and open manager. It must have just been in, incredibly good timing. Yeah, it, it was, and uh, it was so. Uh, I had so so great years with him because, as you say, he's, he. Um, uh, I don't think that he had t- taken me in if he doesn't felt that I could do something for the club and yeah. him and helping him and and uh, so on. Uh, but it's it's what you say here up in the north. You have to do different uh, kind of things because we can't compare the numbers games with the biggest clubs uh, in Sweden. Uh, so then we have to work with, in another way, and that's what. And, and the club, uh, yeah, like a they, red. They have to be smarter and, and try yeah. new things, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Um, obviously, um, as mentioned at the start, you're you're a trailblazer um, working um, in top flight men's football. Um, see your, your experience of that um, working with, uh, as I say, working in men's football. Is there any sort of advantage? Obviously, can you list sort of and let us know a bit about, about the advantages and the sort of issues and challenges that you face being a woman in, in top flight men's football? It's a hard question because when I got into coaching and, and stuff, I never felt or thought about what could be advantage and and, and stuff uh, because I've all always uh, just being myself and, and I maybe it's uh, one of the problem that we we talk female man like a, a gender yeah. when you have a coach in front of you. I think that's the the one of the things that we do wrong when we talk uh, female and, and man. And so I had hard to answer that question because it's it's more more like issues and challenges than than I can like really say advantage because I think it's so so much of the the person and in, in the individual. Or do you understand what I mean? Yeah, I can imagine if when you come to Östersund, and, and I, I guess I don't know anybody, other female coaches who works in the top flight in Europe today. So you surely you must you must have felt the pressure to go. This is a really good opportunity, and I really need to show that I'm just as good as as any other coach. Did you feel that pressure? Yeah, of course I did because. Uh... You 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 felt it from the outside, of course, and then also when you keep coming up to one of the the best uh, coaches we had in in uh, the Swedish league, of course. Uh, but but I also think that that every coach should come to work every day and feel that what can I do better and I want to develop. So for me, I I went going to work and and always try to be better and and like so. But I understand what what you mean. But um, yeah, I think it's more of the outside or other people who want to put that pressure. And I always want to be my best. Yeah, I think um, obviously uh, the World Cup's around the corner, and it's a, it's a massive, massive thing. And the coverage that it's been getting, um, specifically in Scotland, um, has been huge. Um, and a lot of that is to do with, you know, the success of the Scottish women's national team, which is fantastic. Um, Shelley Kerr, who's the obviously the head coach, she's recently been nominated for Coach of the Year in Scotland, um, which has been terrific. Um, any, but then again, any sort of talk um, about the idea of her becoming the the head coach of Scotland, the men's team was kind of sort of dismissed. Do you think there'll be at some point a sort of breakthrough um, for 
a, a woman to be in charge of a top flight male team? I want to say that I hope so. Uh, and it's it's so many things. It's like culture and it's like, yeah. what can I say? It's, and, and I guess with Sweden being such a equal country as well, it's it's you know you know Sweden is pretty much in forefront of of, of equality, um, but even in Sweden, it, you know, you needed all these circumstances and kind of by chance for, for you to get a, an opportunity as well. Uh, as you say, we are a good country with that, and it's a, always a, a living process. Who I think now the the couple of last uh, yeah a few years where. Um, so many who works uh, so much with it and, and that we can come closer and closer for every year. Uh, like in media and then like the, the female national team get more media and, and, and you create the role models in another way. So I would say that Sweden is, as you say, one of the better. Um, but it's, it's hard because... Um, I I often when I'm in, now I'm uh, you say maternity maternity yes you say that yeah. so I maternity I, leave yeah I only work uh, three times a week because it, it's a hard puzzle when you your, your <laughs> yeah. fiance is like a player yeah yeah so but uh, but uh, when Ian t- took over he know my situation and he wanted me to stay which was really. Um, fun because when when Graham and them left and and Ian came in, of course he wanted to put his uh, staff uh, what he wants. Yeah. And then I had a long talk with him and 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 he said like, yeah, can you come in <laughs> as fast as you can? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the the club is paying a babysitter three times a week, and that's also wow. showing nice. that I <laughs> I'm needed. <laughs> So uh, that's also a way of the club and Ian uh, showing uh, my, what can I say? The value, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He values me. Um, now I just started to talk about something else and what you asked. <laughs> uh, John, and just to come in there, just more talk about Shelley Kerr and things um, and the, the success of the Scottish Women's National Team. These players right now are currently, you know, being seen as role models, not to young players um, across the board. Uh, and I just wondered, obviously, you're obviously a pioneer yourself, but was there anybody that you were looking up to? Is there any role models that you looked to um, as you were going into coaching? It was hard also because if you go back a few years when I was a player, it wasn't so many female uh, role models, uh, players. You had men, of course. And and when I started also my coaching career, it wasn't so that many because of media. Uh, mm-hmm. But then I get no Pia Sundoge. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe she was a bit of that maybe. Uh, but I never had a like a role model uh, if you look at a female. So mm-hmm. that is was so good to be a pioneer if you want to call it like that uh, mm-hmm. for like your. Uh, Scottish uh, coach and and like I hope that that this can can bring something good as you say uh, because I know that it's a, a lot of girls females who really want to to uh, develop and, and take steps and and be the best they can as also as coaching but 
it's it's a lot of issues also that you don't talk about so much. It's just the the maternity. Take that for example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it's hard to to get the the puzzle because it's all it's very and it's many players, female players who want to be coach. But what's the first thing you had to do when you end your career? You had to be a mom. Yeah. So the the coaching is like always behind because uh, you have to take care of the kids and you want to have certain amount of kids and and it's delaying the uh, what can you say the yeah, you start your career yeah <laughs> yeah start your exactly. career and, uh, and, and then you have to get to your experience and it takes so much time do you think the fact that there is kind of a, a new breed of coaches anyway coming being more and more common in the men's game so so there's players that you know, coaches that haven't really played the game. Um, Ian, Ian is a really good example because he's never, you know, played professionally. He's come up from the university background and he's had to fight certain things because of that. And you, and as we know, you know, there's, at the moment, there's, there's, you know, women who's in, you know, high up in FIFA and UEFA, you've got women referees, you have women who works hard in the media. So, Hopefully, with these kind of a bit more modern coaches like Ian coming in, that will help break the final barrier. Yeah, that that yeah. works. Can dream, and if you got lucky and and you got the chance, and you take the chance, and and uh, then then it's so important uh, that it is like that. Uh, I would say, but I as a coach, I have never because. I always get the question how he feels and like that. And I have never, never felt that I got like disrespect or something that, that the players in our team doesn't like listen because the players isn't dumb. If you, if you, <laughs> if you don't have a, uh, the knowledge and, and they feel that they can't, that you can't learn something, of yeah. course they don't going to get you that respect maybe. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, it, it isn't. It's all back to that again. We are good at talk female men, but it's about the, the leadership and how you are. I want to because the one thing that's is held against female coaches in the men's game, I, I feel a lot, and especially when you talk about Shelly Care, uh, is that how can they be a coach if they haven't played the game at the top level, which has kind of now been blown out of the water because you have coaches, men coaches, who's never played the game. So, so hopefully that will, you know, at least break that that, that ceiling. Of course, and it, it it feels like sometimes always like okay, you have to prove them wrong, uh, and and it's like how it is. You have to continue prove, continue prove, proving, proving, maybe more than a man. Uh, that's that's the the unfortunate thing. Um, Johanna, it's been an absolute pleasure um, speaking to you. We genuinely could go on and speak for a couple more hours, but we don't want to hold you up. Um, thanks very much for coming on, and we, I'm sure we'll speak to you again in the future. Yeah, thank you. So now we're in the kind of third section of the podcast. Um, we've got Lindsay, 
is with us in the studio. What are you doing, Christian? You're doing a mad No, I, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> did, did you actually have a genuine reason for kind of looking a bit weird there? Or? That's, just my, that's just my resting face. <laughs> that's resting face. Um, also joining us, <clears throat> excuse me, is a prominent football artist, Frankie Mitchell. Hello, Frankie. Hello, Chris. Good evening. Is a uh, football artist, is that, is that how you, designer, what would you kind of class yourself as? I don't really know. Illustrator, maybe. Okay, illustrator. Um, you've, your rise to prominence over the last season or two has been amazing. Um, give us a little bit of background about yourself and what you do. So I do kind of like a, a mashup of illustration and graphic design, I suppose. Um, I don't, I'm not trained to do either. Um, I just kind of practised and ended up where I am, so... Yeah, I used to draw a lot when I was younger and um, kind of fell away from it. But a year or so ago, I had had a really long period of time off work due to illness and I was climbing the walls, so I needed to do something. And um, I thought, why don't I just start drawing again? And I had started off with a wee Instagram page where I was drawing um, former Italian football icons because... I was obsessed with Football Italia and all that when I was younger. And it just kind of developed from there. And because Celtic in my club, I wanted to do something Celtic-related. So um, I started posting that on Twitter. And then you guys got in touch. You were the first folk to ever feature anything that I did. So, yeah, here I am now. And now we're surprised you even got time for us, Frankie. Yeah, with you know being on the BBC. And that's and not. Hold on a minute. That's not what I was gonna. I was. Okay. I was gonna ask, Frankie. <laughs> important question: <laughs> Who is the best mid nineties Italian oh. Serie A footballer? There is one answer. There is one answer, but you can say who you want. Feel free to say who you want. Oh, I don't know. It's hard to pick a favorite. That's right. It's Del Piero. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, correct answer. Uh, but no, like, so we just want to get a kind of uh, football fans, Celtic fans. Uh, women are so misrepresented and so undervalued. Um, w- w- small bit when the re- I went to the football because of my sister. My sister took me to my first game. She uh, she bought me my first season ticket. Um, she knows more than, more knew more about football than I ever did. She taught me everything I knew, and uh, without my sister, I wouldn't. There, there would be no ninety minute cynic. Um, I love that. That's heavy unique. Yeah, well, yeah. I, well I, I, I would. I've I've never heard someone. Yeah, yeah, my, my, have my, that story. That's cool. Yeah, so um, f- for me, for me, f- women in football has always been a thing it's always been prominent it's just it's not it's a part of me when i was younger think thought it was wasn't something worth even talking about mm-hmm. but because of obviously you grow older and you realize that um of course these issues need to be talked about because as i say women in football is so misrepresented is that something you kind of feel frankly yourself when i'll come to you in a minute Lindsay? that maybe you feel part of you don't feel part of the whole thing or you do or what's your experience um definitely i mean there are some times where I do still feel a bit isolated with some issues it doesn't bother me quite as much now because I can see things are changing and there's such a buzz around women's football and women in football at the moment although there's still such a long way to go but um, it did bother me so much more when I was younger because I was football daft and none of my other girl pals were but also 
you know, none of the boys in my classes would let me play football with them. And my school didn't have a girls team. And um, I didn't, you know, the, the only person I had to connect with about football was my dad. So it is getting better now, but um, it feels like it's just getting started and it's it's going to get bigger and bigger. But it's a shame that when I was younger, I, I didn't feel like girls had the opportunities to to be in love with it as much as they could be just because the resources and investment wasn't there from everything for coaching down the equipment and um yeah it's it's a it's a shame but it is getting better let's see is that the same for yourself um, slightly like slight differences like when i was at school there, there was a team I, there wasn't a girls team but i just played on the boys yes, team. are you just saying you're younger and thank you is, is that what uh, you're trying to, to, to a little bit in here? a little okay. bit just, just different different experience by the way okay. ladies see when i say christian's a dick i really mean it he's just a bit of a dick so just just talk over I, him only yesterday i was called a condescending prick on the whatsapp group yeah so, that's right which is just not wrong but um yeah, so I, I like I, I could play football at school, but um, I just happened to be, and I'm not big-headed of that, but I was actually quite good at football and just always had the ball at my foot. Um, and I nutmegged uh, Sean McKenzie. Uh, the first, yes. first night I went to training, you don't know who this is, it's just a fella that went to school. I was already saying, get it up, you Sean McKenzie. Uh, yeah, it's fine, yeah. Uh, but I nutmegged him and then scored the goal, and they were like, yes, she's good. And I got a game that weekend for the team and never looked back, it was brilliant that's fantastic but there was still issues like it wasn't you know some people were like yes that lassie's good some people were like aye but she's a lassie so (laughs) it's sort of looking around as if that's no a thing um but um so slightly different experiences um in terms of schooling that um when i started going to celtic park i think i was that young and naive that i never really noticed um anything but I don't know I feel like I'm, I notice things more now but it's not so much at Celtic Park it's maybe just this sort of Twitter and all the rest of the stuff oh, that you, you get exposed to people's opinions yeah. <laughs> and views on these things and you're like oh Christ I thought everything was alright I thought we were okay and it turns out there's actually some absolute crackpots out there. I was going to ask you that Lindsay because obviously you've written for us before in terms of because you're one of the founders of the Pride Huddle and, yeah. and so on as well so Obviously, you, you kind of talked about some of the, like the homophobic, not even abuse, just language. Yeah. Uh, and is that something when you actually go to Celtic Park, do you see there's any sort of, I was going to say sexism, but is, is there any, have you ever got any comments or like an atmosphere around that kind of language or? Like you hear, I'm always, sometimes I, I might be too forgiven of language sometimes, Um I don't hear it as much as what I remember hearing it when I was younger. Okay. But then again, when I was younger, I probably didn't understand it as much of the language as yeah. I obviously do now. Um, but it's mostly, it just bugs you. I think I wrote in the article, um, you've got a good Scottish tongue in your head, like, use it. Mm. See if somebody falls to the deck, man, like, call them, like, a dive, whatever, like, call them a dick, call them an asshole, call them anything. Why the need for the word Jesse? Or, or, poof, or, or woman, or woman, yeah. uh, yeah, big lassie, or something like that. Like, why is it? I, I don't get why that even like <laughs> enters your mind. Why yeah. it enters your head exactly? Like, there's there's so many great swear words you could use. Right. Like, why why go with the the sexist one? Why go with the homophobic one? Um, 
And I suppose that says more about the person that's saying it than it does anyone else. But I think there's a, a lack of education, especially with, especially with the um, the idea of the someone diving or someone falling down and people saying you're a big woman, yeah. right? So I really don't think people think that's offensive. No, but essentially what you're doing is you're saying that women are weak yeah, and that by yeah. everything that yeah. by by showing a lack of strength yeah. that you're a woman because yeah. women are weak and it's fucking horrible. That's that's what I'm saying when I'm saying sorry that I'm I'm too forgiving sometimes a language yeah. because whenever I hear someone and you do you do hear it parkhead someone going oh you're a big poof or something, Fuck. I don't right away think that person's a homophobe. Oh, I know that person could have been in polo last night, having kicking their height and having a rare time with a like gay pal. You don't know, yeah. But like, you still think why? Like, why be so lazy? Is to, to use the word, like, to educate yourself and knowing that, you know, wh- what are the connotations that you're putting towards that word? And it is that weakness, yeah. frail, Different, whatever difference, difference exactly. Yeah. And I think that's what I don't immediately go. Oh, that person's a sexist. That person's home for blah blah blah. It, it, it take, I don't know. You kind of it's it's difficult. It's difficult. I, I guess and and frankly, I mean, from your experiences of actually you know producing you know art and putting it out and it being about football, um, you know, Lindsay kind of talked to her about the experience and you know going to the grounds, but I presume social media could be. Uh, hell sometime for someone like you as well who, who puts things out yeah um f- for the most part the the whole experience has been pretty good genuinely um there are some things that have unsettled me or, or really frustrated me which shouldn't have happened that I, I know wouldn't have happened if if I was a man and I wish it's easy to say, I, I wish I could just brush it off and, and not care so much, but it's not in my nature to be that way because I know it is so backwards. Um, there's a lot of situations like just having been undermined a lot of the time, yeah. uh, unfairly scrutinised, patronised. I've received really inappropriate comments and emails and my, my company emails, including of a sexual nature Jeez. so that's it's up you know on the rare occasion where somebody does completely cross a line that way it gets at me for days because it's knowing that they feel entitled to make me feel uncomfortable that way and that's something that a lot of women in football face and again just in life in general whether they're judged positively or negatively on their appearance either way it's still considered more important than their actual experiences or value as a human being. It's a total lack of respect. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. I think you know we can we can use football as a sort of framework to to kind of hang this on, but essentially it is a societal problem um, that kind of bleeds into to football. But you know there, there's something to be said about the camaraderie of of being at a football match and. You know, not everyone's experience is different. So when we talked earlier about, you know, Lindsay, your experience of being a female football fan and uh, yours, Frankie, being different um, because they are. But do you feel part of that crowd, Frankie, when you're at the game? Do you feel like when we're when we're at our backs against the wall, do you, do you feel part of it all? Or is there still that little part of your brain that's like, I can't fully be part of it because of, you know, I've just mainly male crowd mm-hmm. um, 
the only time I've ever felt uncomfortable in a football crowd, I don't know if you remember, I don't know how many years ago this was, five, six years ago, it was a game against Elfsborg. And yep. there was a situation where the female physio crowd were just oh, yeah. jeering at her like a, a bunch of animals. And the the aftermath of that on Twitter, there was a journalist, I can't remember what her name is, um, she wrote a piece on it and she got absolutely slaughtered for calling the behaviour out for being, you know, what it is, creepy and, and weird and... Sexist. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, I remember, you know, scrolling through all the comments that night and thinking that's probably the first time I've ever felt like I didn't want to be in the crowd with fellow supporters at Celtic Park. I just felt so uncomfortable and it was so weird and and um it was quite a, a stain on what, what I thought like Celtic fans were, to be honest. It's not that I didn't think people were that way it's just I had never seen it quite like that before there and because it's such a a mass of people even if there's a small section um then that's uncomfortable enough but I was at that match and it was audible and obviously you had the whole set the whole thing with um the Portuguese physio at Chelsea Mm. um chats about that in the pub which were completely inappropriate overhearing people talking um horrifically and you know one thing sorry I'm going on a bit of a rant here but um Again, talking to my girl, my girlfriend Claire, she was talking. We were watching a Celtic game in the pub, and um, there'd been something, and there'd been an article about um, you know women in football, and you know watching games in, in in the pub, and how women felt intimidated being in a pub. And I always kind of struggled with it because um, I was like, "You're in a pub, it's fine." And then she was like, "But look, I'm the only female here. It's this is." Uh, Everyone else is male. Um, there's a lot of gestating. There's a lot of people um, uh, doing gestures, and it's like it's. In- I'm, and I don't feel unsafe, but it's still intimidating, and it's something I'd never really. I'd seen it from her perspective for the first time of being like, "Oh, you really are outnumbered, almost." Yeah, I, f- I think that's what it is. Um, don't get me wrong. I've <laughs> again. This is um, it's something I-, I love going to the pub. I am definitely a pub goer. <laughs> But if I'm going to the pub and my nana gets wind of the fact I'm going to the pub, it's like, what? What do yeah. you mean? You can't. You don't. You can't. <laughs> it's like, no, no, I can. Like, watch me. <laughs> so I go to my my local quite a lot. But you still sometimes get that way, and I don't know if it's just <laughs> after a few pints or if you get into your own head. But and it's something really, really daft, right? What I'm about to say. But you'll often find that the ladies' toilets is either way up the back or downstairs or upstairs. Yeah. So either way, you have to walk through usually a sea of men, <laughs> like parting the way as you go. Um, you know, folk are obviously looking, not not even in a bad way, but you're you know you're still walking through. It's intimidating, whatever else. It's small. It's little small things like that. And when you are the only one, or maybe one of two, three, or four is scattered in the pub. Yeah, it, it it can be, and it does sort of relate to that football, you know, stadium environment where you you know we are in the minority as female fans. Um, but yeah, I I do kind of get what what you're saying there, what Claire's yeah. talking about, and it is an experience that I think a lot of people have, and you can totally relate it then to being out in the stand, um, especially when you've got instances like the one that Frankie's just spoke about with the, you know, the that's the classic and it will whistling the, yeah. the the female physio simply because yeah. she's female and it's like, uh, I think, and the gal, I guess it's 
for us as you were talking there about you know you know Claire's uh, perspective it and I think myself and probably others have been kind of naive where I think that the terms of sexism in, in workplaces and so on is like it's it's not that obvious anymore it's getting better and so on but I think like some of you know my my female pals that we work with and some of the stories they tell me it's it must be that thing where it's it's not that overt anymore mm. but it's just all those small drips of patronizing condescending things that yeah. in isolation can be you know dismissed as banter or whatever but they're a symbol of something that there's an undercurrent there or still have it. Yeah. And, and and I guess, you know, frankly for yourself in terms of, if, if, I mean, yeah, I would be paranoid that if somebody came and tried to give you criticism or constructive criticism or, or, or took umbrage with something you said, you part of you would go, well, is, would you have said that to, to a man? Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, it's, even you could post any opinion on, on Twitter about a, a football game and, and somebody's always going to try and make you feel daft for it. You, you sometimes, sometimes feel like a guy's a second away if you're going, you know, tell me the offside rule. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. they, they just sort of think you're a bit clueless. Um, yeah. It's it's I, dead frustrating. Can I just come in? I have an absolute classic, and you came into one of my tweets at this. This was a good couple of months back. And it was a conversation I had with someone in my work who said, it was just football terminology. I was simply tweeting about football terminology because someone said, put the word pumped in front of 1-0. And I asked Twitter, can a team be pumped 1-0? To me, a pumping is like three goals or more. Yeah. Right? But, but it doesn't matter. Some people agree and were like, yeah, of course you can get pumped 1-0. So there was a few people tweeted in, they were like, yes, I think you can. No, I don't think you can. This guy flies in. Um, flies in flies into the old Twitter <laughs> yeah, absolutely did by now and um, we had a wee bit of a healthy debate a couple of tweets back and forth um, he was talking I, came, like, I, th- I think he did support uh, the old Rangers and he was talking about the 1-0 the, the, the first time they uh, bet us yeah yeah, yeah yeah at Christmas Day yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, he was like we beat you we pumped you 1-0 or whatever and I was like right cool I still wouldn't have said that when we beat you 1-0 back at the start I wouldn't have called that a pumping either to yeah. be honest and he flew in this is the, the part on tweet was away and play with your barbies and I was like we were we were having a very good healthy debate there yeah and you had to leave on the part and note of go and play with your barbies and I, I was like Jesus I was, Christ I was acting as a reasonable <laughs> person for about four tweets but then yeah, yeah. That's, that, that's the thing about like, like oh man do, do you think I mean in terms of Celtic as a club there's this thing about more than a club and it's and we kind of got we've talked about this before whereas what does that mean? We did a whole cynical uh, edition on it, and and I think there's this interesting pressure point. Whereas, it's for me, it should be seen as always pushing boundaries. That so you always you're not stuck in time. It should be about what the Green Brigade does. Is it should be about being in the forefront of well, like a better word, progressive things on the ball, for example. Oh, well, I was just going to mention them and Twitter because all I and and Erin and Michaela like the amount of. I know, just yes. stupid question, and their their level of patience must be I off the graph because I think it's outstanding. Because the, yeah. the, the, you know, I, I would have snapped after about five tweets, but they yeah. go on and on and on in terms of just every time they get any sort of, of shit on Twitter, they just go on and go, "Hey, 
reasonable explanation yeah. and, and always open and every time something like this you know to bring in like the, the sanitary products a new club you get a whole new set of fans male fans going with the same things and they must just have an incredible patience for it but do you think Celtic if in saying okay we're more than a club you you have these campaigns that come up you you know to me Celtic should be that means to me that they should be at the forefront of these things and they should embrace it more they should push it it was a really good thing that they were first with the sanitary products mm. but I think as also a Celtic fans, if you adhere to that ethos, you have a responsibility to keep pushing. I think you said it, Lindsay, in your article, it's not about, you know, and I'll let you explain it yourself in terms of it's not, it should be about challenging, not, you know, just accepting what the current level. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just think, I will come back to that, but with the on the ball asses, like, I mean, I just think they're outstanding. I've never done singing their praises, but... I feel like the way they've been in social media is just totally dignified. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, the yeah. responses they get, and they've absolutely just killed people with kindness. Like, yeah. that's all I feel. They do. And I'm like, fair play to you. I don't know how they manage it. Um, but yeah, it's it's just the right way, I suppose, to go about it. If there is a right way to do something, I feel like that's probably it to deal with, with these absolute nutters on Twitter. But um, Part of that is also, sorry to defend the, the, the absolute twats, but some of it, some of it is complete misinformation. This is true, yeah. <laughs> like, Especially yes. if you factor in also, a Catholic yeah. school upbringing, which yeah. a lot of us had. Yeah. Um, we were never taught anything like that. And I'm, is that, is, that is in no way, by the way, to defend no, no, anyone giving true. up abuse on social media because yeah. it's just it's just not on. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I think what they do is an incredible, incredible yeah. thing and it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, in terms of, we're talking about Celtic... Uh, yeah. picking things up and challenging things and stuff um, are, are we talking about Proud Huddle stuff is that what you want to yeah no absolutely um, so I think it kind of comes into the same kind yeah, of area like, I was delighted with the, the on the ball stuff I thought it was great that Celtic did it um, it was something that I hadn't even thought about yeah. <laughs> and um, obviously I am female and I just never considered it I thought it was just groundbreaking to be honest but um, don't worry in terms of Proud Huddle um, Proud Huddle being the first as far as I know, the first and only um, LGBT Celtic Sports Club. Celtic's on the back foot a lot with the LGBT campaign and it, 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 it bugs me. It really, really does. And it bugs a community of people that I don't think they even realise they have under their roof. That's they yeah. don't have a clue. They, they really, really don't. Um, and I don't know I don't know how. I don't, uh, I don't know. Maybe, I, maybe I'm just... Obviously, I am LGBT, so... I'm aware of myself and my peers, <laughs> yeah. of course. Um, but you kind of think in this day and age now, you know, you you must be aware that, you know, the numbers, the scale of the people that come to that stadium, there must be a portion of people here. Um, and they are aware of us. They're aware of the Pride Huddle. And it's Pride Month this month. Yeah, There hasn't been a tweet sent out. There's, as far as I'm aware, tell me if I'm wrong. But I have not picked up on anything that's been sent out yet. Um yeah, um, the Rainbow Laces campaign, which is, oh God, February? Ooh, I might have the wrong month, but the Rainbow <laughs> Laces campaign, whenever yeah, yeah. it comes around every year, um, like it was only Michael Lustig, who was the captain that day, yeah. he had his, his rainbow armband on, which was brilliant. I put out a, a tweet about it, a photo and all that. Had it on my own personal Instagram because I thought, brilliant, that's class. And Lustig himself Instagrammed it, I think, or tweeted it, so obviously shows that him personally. Hold on a minute, you get Instagrammed on Michael Lustig like a retweet thing? 
no, 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 no. He posted his photo of right, himself wearing the armband. He doesn't, no, no. He doesn't, answer, he doesn't answer on <laughs> our DMs. Don't, don't go gallic. No, 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 no. Yeah. sorry. He, <laughs> he genuinely doesn't answer my DMs. <laughs> no, uh, he posted his own photo with his armband and all that on. And he scored that day as well, which was, it was nice. Fitting, so he yeah. got a good photo and all that. But um, so obviously showed that him personally, he's all for that sort of yeah. thing. Were there, were there rainbow flags at the corners? Were there rainbow laces being worn by the players? No. And I know it sounds like a really small thing, like, oh, what does a flag? But it <sighs> represents a lot to yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. Like, it really, really Massive does. Massive thing. I, I, um, remember, but in Germany there, was it not the last weekend, the games, it was between Bayern Munich and Dortmund, right? For the last, like, mm-hmm. it went down to the, the wire. Yeah. Bayern Munich had a whole, like, day of LGBT stuff, despite the fact this huge, like, yeah. league title, like, game came down to the wire. And the whole tweet, like the whole tweet, the whole Twitter thing that day, not the whole thing, but a big portion yeah. of it was the fact that they were having the rainbow flags, they were ha- the players had their laces on, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Christ's sake, like this is on a massive, massive day for for the club in general. They're going to lift their title again, potentially. And they still took the, a massive chunk of their time to spread that message in social media. It just, I mean, and, and, and Frankie, from your point of view, do you think, that is something Celtic should be because of his history be in the forefront of. Absolutely. Like, um, you know, everyone loves to to churn out the a club open to all phrase when it suits. And I would hate to see that the club do the same. Certainly a lot of fans do that. But it, if we do want to to say we are a club open to all, we, we should absolutely be making a huge deal out of Pride Month and and celebrating fans, all fans. And um, it's disappointing that, that we haven't done, because I had noted that there hadn't been a tweet put out, because um, I really I thought there would have been, to be honest, and it's, yeah. it's a shame there hasn't. Just uh, bringing Claire, my girlfriend, back into it, and I, and I bring her in because she's a sort of fresh set of eyes. She's a, She has a, became, over the last 18 months, she's become a, a genuinely massive Celtic fan. Um, when the women's the women's team were promoting the new strip, yeah. one of the new strips, um, it, so it was a it was a, a women it was to do with the women's team, and in the middle of that picture was Oliver Burke with two of the women's players Jesus, on each side. He'd been there for five minutes. Yeah, he'd been there for five minutes, yes. and it was to promote um, something to do with the women's team. I can't quite remember off the top of my head. And all all Claire did was she took a picture of it and she mm-hmm. put it out on Twitter saying. Why is there a need for Oliver Burke to be there? Why can't it just be uh, the women's football players? Which the news story was about. She got vile, yeah. vile abuse from Celtic. I'm going to put in brackets Celtic fans. Um, no, but we, you don't have to put that in no, brackets. No, yeah. I mean, they're Celtic fans. No, they I are. Think yeah, every, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it just, um, it, I, I was really, she was showing me some of the stuff. It really got, some of it was aggressive. Um, some mm. of it was sexual in nature. And, and all she did was, Put the picture up and say, "Here, look at this. This isn't right because it should be the fo- the all of our work shouldn't be the focus." Yeah, you see all the pictures on on Instagram of oh, there you go, shagger, what a fucking boy, oh fucking, uh, yeah. and all this. Um, and uh, I had to explain. I was embarrassed. Yeah, all all these Celtic fans tweeting my girlfriend saying you're a slag, you're a fucking whore, all this stuff. She's been a she is a genuinely, and and and. It, it really, really affected me in a way that I was just like, fuck this. We talk about being a club open to all. We talk about being progressive mm-hmm. and all this. And it really affected her as well. I mean, you guys must have had that, Frankie. And, uh, and I was, uh, sorry, Frankie, just, but, but I was going to say, like, because we as guys probably don't 
the only time we really get experience that if it happens to someone yeah. close to us. Of course, yeah. 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 Even though we know it happens. And I was going to say, like, the way we feel about it then, but you guys must get it personally and directly, um, you know, so much more. I think a lot of them, it's a frustration a lot of the time that I remember not to go back to on the ball and we've spoken about that but there was a, a thread that I put up once where I was talking about the importance of it in the context of little girls going to football with their dads because there's a lot of dads take their lassies to football who quite clearly biology classes have failed a lot of people <laughs> and you know little girls won't feel comfortable talking to their dads about things and I was trying to to say, if you don't see the benefit of this for women as a whole, think about your little girl, you know. A lot of the time, saying think about your mum, think about your sister, your partner, that's the only way to sort of humanise women enough to, to make men see that these things are actually really shite. Mm. And we shouldn't have to do that, you know, you shouldn't have to think oh actually that would actually really bother me if it happened to a woman that I care about um it should bother you happening you, to any women yeah um, you, you've also obviously been football fans your whole life um do you think there's a tide that's turning and if so what do you think and what else can we do uh I always feel like it's changing and then I always get thrown <laughs> 10 yards back yeah and it, it's daily. It's like you think, yes, this is great. Like, let's take the Scotland women's national team and all that jazz into con. Like, that's the thing right now. Yes, Scotland are going to be in the telly. All up for watching it. I've got guys talking about it in the local pub. Yes, buzzing. And then I'll go home and I'll see a tweet. Yeah. Or I'll see some stupid article by someone that's just thrown it five years, ten years Back. backwards. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. You t- <laughs> it's just one of those. I, I would love to say yes. It's changing. I've seen that with the proud huddle. I'm like, yep, this is great, and it's and it's even just people having a conversation and just talking and normalising it. Yeah, but then you still, again, again, a lot of the source of evil here is social media because <laughs> obviously you're surrounded. Well, I I am surrounding myself with the proud huddle with you guys, like people who, to me, are like minded. So I know when I talk to folk like yourselves and folk like Predado, I'm with my right people here yeah, and we're yeah, all yeah. in the same thinking. Absolutely, yeah. well, you're in a bubble. Yeah, in a yeah. exactly. Yeah, you are. So then when you, you open up that world of social media, be it Twitter, Facebook, whatever, you know, that's when you go, Christ, no, because there is still and, a community and, out there that think differently. And, and it's a good point as well, Lindsay, because, <laughs> you know, me, me and Gal sit there and talk about, you know, men are, you know, to do this and this so on. But, to be honest, I mean, we've been going for, you know, I've been part of this for a few years. We've been going since 2001. And to be honest, it's pretty embarrassing how few female contributors we've had on. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, we see ourselves as progressive, you know, all these things. But even in this little bubble, why do you think that is? Uh, the first person I ever got to write, uh, one of the first people I got to write an article was my sister. So my yeah. sister wrote a top 10 article about, about Celtic. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Um, other than her, I don't know any. I didn't know any other football female football fans at that point. I, w- I was in a bubble, yeah. and I felt personally it would have been inappropriate to DM girls and say, "Do you want to come and write for us?" Now, yeah. that's the way it sh- that you know. I-, I felt uncomfortable because because I didn't know anyone. I didn't know how to approach someone. 
Um, which is a bullshit cop-out. I absolutely is a bullshit cop-out. But I, I, I know that we're moving forward, especially with the, the, the Patreon stuff, that uh, there, there's an absolute necessity to to have a female voice and female voices on, on the podcast. And that's something that we've had Claire go to the press conferences. Yeah. Um, we've had uh, Frankie's done unbelievable art for us. Lindsay's wrote articles. Um, and that's something that we genuinely want to see more of. Yeah. And I think a point a year and a year and a half ago, we basically <laughs> were too white and male yeah. and straight, Which we are. essentially. And I think, you know, talk about Erin from off the ball as well, because she's one of the first one we asked to come on and, and write things and that and I basically said to her, look how, how you know this is what we want to do and she's like yeah well, well, like you just have to get over it and you just have to contact people yeah. you have to try and make your network better and I think that's the thing because the cynics kind of come from family and friends yeah and if if there's no any sort of you know you know too many girls inside that it kind of just that's what it is but you, you essentially essentially have to step out of your comfort zone. so yeah exactly um look we're kind of going to wrap up but before we do firstly frankie we're going to get you and on a podcast and we're going to talk about your work and your design and stuff so that's something that i can't wait to do um but just tell us a little bit about you as a celtic fan before we finish up favorite players first game um just experiences so my first game was actually, I was really young. It was uh, a two-all draw with Hibs at Hamden. This was the season where oh, yes. all our games were at yes. Hamden. Um, but I just get lifted over the turnstiles. Like, I was really young. My, I, I remember looking up highlights uh, of this game. It was Pierre Van Hoydonk and John Collins that scored. And um, to me, it was just like going on a, a fun day out to the football with my dad and I loved it ever since. I had no idea how shite Celtic were in the nineties, and which apparently means that I can't appropriately judge us now. No, <laughs> um, but I, 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 ever since then, it was just I was absolutely in love with going to football, and um, I, I was really lucky to be of the generation, like in those formative years, uh, becoming so interested in it that I got to have like Henry Larson as my hero, and. Um, for some reason, I don't know why this. I had such a, a fondness for this player. Do you remember Olivier Tebley? Oh, big tables. Um, <laughs> One of the worst centre backs I've ever seen in my entire life. I'll be I honest. Really, I really liked him, and I I drew him once for the Celtic View. I sent a photo in to Celtic View, <laughs> and I for like a month passed, and they they didn't put it in, and oh, I was giving up. And then uh, they eventually put it in, and I was it was like best day of my life, so buzzing. And then they spelled my name really wrong, and it, it totally killed my buzz. But um, I, I really loved him for some reason. I really don't know why. But do you know he's a he's actually a cognac maker now. Got his own, what? <laughs> got his own vineyard, and he's he's, he's doing Class. it. Yeah, he um, was on BBC News a few years ago talking about it. Yeah, he played he played for he played for Birmingham as well. Um, under Steve Bruce. That, that um, kind of sound like you see this new Twitter account, um, Celtic Statman, where he essentially just makes up stats about players and then you know, how they became you know went on strictly come dancing. That kind of sounded like that. By the way, see see to be fair, like the the kind of buzz went up to be to be signed because uh, he was young, he was French. Um, he was like, he just looked the part. He looked like Marcel Desai. You were like, oh my God, we've got an absolute... And then you saw him play football and you're like, oh Jesus. Um, just not very good. Um, Lindsay, yourself, we've not really got your kind of... Who are your Celtic heroes? Um, so, like, I always played football when I was younger. I was never really... My brother went to all the games. Um, so I never really started going to like 2000, 2001. 
So my team's like obviously Henry Larson, Jackie McNamara was definitely one of my heroes growing up. Uh, Alan Thompson, that wand of a left foot. Uh, exciting times. Stylian Petrov is definitely up there. Yeah, with one of the all time. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of my my era. So I sort of flew in. Um, just coming up to Martin O'Neill and well, you're, Martin you're, O'Neill's, you're spoiled. I was you're, spoiled, you're entitled massively. This is yep. you know, yep. I've never, I've never known failure. <laughs> yeah, you young, Although you young people, I tell you, my first away game though, I have known failure. I tell I my first away game, um, and I got to go. My brother wasn't allowed, so there was a spare ticket. I don't know why he wasn't. You get in trouble or something. In the like Lindsay's taking your ticket. You've been bad, and. Uh, it was the helicopter Sunday against oh, Motherwell Christ. and Scott McDonald. But you know the thing was, I was so naive. My cousin, like my grown cousin Paul, was like near tears, raging. And I was like, what's, you know, my little, totally, totally little voice. I must have been about, I don't know, four foot or something like that. And I was like, oh, it's fine. We'll just, there's, a, there's a leak next year. Like, it's fine. Oh, I was like, douche. <laughs> Whacked over the back of the head. Like, we've just lost the title. And I was like, but it's cool. There's one next season. It's you know. fine. I, I was, I was, you know, I was. Listen, see the nineties, by the way. I was, I once saw Partick Thistle beat do us three one, and Peter Grant scored in it. So Jesus, he's don't know hell. No, I know nothing. I um, know nothing. Shall we wrap up? I think um, th- this has been really, really great. And this is, I know we've. This is only one podcast, but it's something we're going to expand on. Um, obviously, Frankie, as we say, we're going to do stuff with your and design stuff. Um, Lindsay will do more of the history stuff Um, but it will also be good to maybe do the odd podcast where it's just you guys Um, I can help, we can help produce that because women need to be heard in football Um, the LGBT community need to be heard in football Um, and we need less white straight males less people like us (laughs) less people like us mind you I'm Norwegian so I'm kind of (laughs) <laughs> in the minute, yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, Frankie, <laughs> tremendous for having you on. I know we didn't speak as, as much as I wanted this to, but um, we'll get you on again. And, and Frankie, because Gal's gonna forget, you, you can plug your online shop as yes. well. Yes, yeah. oh, yeah. oh, yes, yes, uh, com forward slash people forward slash made by Frankie. There you go, you so can find it yeah. on my Twitter, made by Frankie, it's on there. Fantastic. Uh, and Lindsay, what, just your one final plug for your tour? Yes, so the Glasgow Football Tour, www.glasgowfootballtour.com and you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Football fans, football contributors and uh, working in football, it's fantastic. Yep. Frankie, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for getting involved. Thank you very much for having me. Lindsay, awesome as always. Thank you very much. Christian Wolf. I, I think I was average. Yeah. Yeah. Below average. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm Chris Gallagher. We're the 90 Minute Cynic and we'll speak to you down the road. <laughs>